And the reading is taken from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 17, and beginning at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Just adjust myself here a bit. Uh, you'll have realized that today is Palm Sunday, and I think something uh, more on that subject is going to be uh, mentioned towards the end of the service, but by listening to that reading, you'll have realized that we're not uh, covering the traditional Palm Sunday story this morning. We are, in fact, continuing a short series that we've been following in uh, John chapter 17, where Jesus prays and um, If you've been here the last couple of weeks or you've caught up on the internet like I have, then uh, you will have seen that we have been looking at Jesus praying about glory, the glory he had, the glory of his Father, the glory that he shared with his disciples. We have seen Jesus praying on the subject of holiness, and now we come to see Jesus praying on the subject of mission. Let's take a moment ourselves to pray as we begin. Our Father God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who heard his prayer for his disciples, please hear our prayer for ourselves, that we may see and understand his desire for us and for the world, and commit ourselves to playing our part in the answer to his prayer. We ask it in his name. Amen.
I wonder how you think about developing your prayer life. I am, of course, making an assumption that you have a prayer life. And uh, I would recommend you starting one if you don't. But I wonder if you ever think about ways in which your prayer life might be developed, might be grown, improved, made more effective, developed in some way. Is that something that you ever consider? Well, one way of perhaps doing that is to listen to other people's prayers. I have a small set of people, some of whom are here in the congregation this morning, although they don't know it because I've never named them, uh, from whom I have learned quite a lot and continue to learn quite a lot by listening to them praying. And uh, it's one reason, it's not the only reason, or even the best reason, but it's quite a good reason for coming to prayer meetings, I suggest. Whether that's a a prayer meeting in a small group that you meet together, or a church prayer meeting, prayer second Monday, or whatever it's called these days. And you can come along to an event like that, and maybe you're the sort of person who doesn't feel terribly confident in praying in public, but you can listen to other people pray, and think about the way they pray and the kinds of things they pray about and maybe begin to make that a little bit of your own prayer life. Another good way of enhancing and developing your prayer life is to look at prayers in the Bible. Most of the Psalms, if not all the Psalms, are songs or can be used as prayers. We're given words that other people have used to talk to God. There are many people in the Bible who are well known for their prayers, for Paul, Nehemiah, Moses, and of course, Jesus himself. And today we're looking at part of one of Jesus' prayers. might reasonably be called the Lord's Prayer, because it is the Lord who is praying. What we traditionally call the Lord's Prayer might better be called the Disciples' Prayer, because Jesus taught it to us. But we look at what Jesus is praying in this passage. And Jesus prays, perhaps surprisingly, for people who do not exist. Jesus prays for people who do not exist. Look with me if you've still got it open in front of you at verse 20. Jesus says, I pray also for those who will believe in me. I pray also for those who will believe in me. They don't believe in me yet, but they will believe in me. And Jesus prays for them. It's a future tense. These may be people who exist as people, but who do not yet exist as believers. Or they may actually be people who, at the time he prayed, do not even exist as people yet. People into the future. Jesus prays for future generations. So, he says, people who will believe in me. What is a believer in this context? Well, one who believes in Jesus. He says, in me. And what's the significance of believe? Well, we all know the answer to that. To believe is to think that something is true, to place our confidence in it, to trust it. And Jesus is saying here, Jesus prays for people who do not yet put their trust in him. Who he is, 
what he's done, what he has said. In other words, to put their trust in me, who Jesus is. Chris was telling us last week in his morning sermon that when Jesus revealed himself to his disciples, he was revealing God to us as well. So by believing in Jesus and by trusting in him, we are discovering who God the Father is. So what is it that Jesus prays for these believers who do not yet exist? Well, he prays that they may be one. What does he say? Look at verse 21. He says that all of them may be one. In verse 22, he says that they may be one as we are one. Bear in mind, Jesus is talking to his Father, and he's saying that these people, these disciples, may be one in the same way that you, Father God, and I are one. In verse 23, he's praying that they may be brought to complete unity. That they may be one, they may be one as we are one, they may be brought to complete unity. What kind of unity is this? Is it simply unity amongst ourselves? Well, yes. Unity amongst ourselves is a good thing. But it is also a unity with God himself through Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 21 again. He says, that they may all be one, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The unity Jesus is praying for here is he's asking for the same unity that he has with his Father. Verse 23, that I am in them and you are in me. He's asking for a corporate unity, not just of disciples between themselves, but of disciples with God. The unity of God with God is the unity that Jesus wants for these non-existent people to be a part of. Hmm. So, how is this going to come about? Well, let's return to the beginning of the passage that we read together in verse 20. We need to unpack a few words here. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. Whoa, whoa. My prayer is not for who alone? Well, Jesus has just been praying in the previous verses, 6 to 19. He's been praying specifically for his disciples. Those disciples that are gathered around the last supper table with Jesus as he's been having the meal with them. He's been praying specifically for them. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those, those not yet existing believers, that I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Through whose message? Through the message of the disciples, the believers who are gathered around him. So if we unpack this a bit, Jesus says, I'm not praying for the disciples around me alone, but I'm also praying for those believers who don't yet exist, that they will believe 
through the message of those who are around me, my present disciples. So the heart of Jesus' prayer here is not simply that there should be unity, though that's a very good idea, but it is a prayer for more believers, for more followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus who will be united because they become believers, disciples trusting in Jesus, and so become united with God himself. Jesus is praying for those who are not yet followers of Jesus so that they will become united with God himself. So we might ask ourselves, well, how are these people going to become believers? And Jesus tells us that it is through their message. The message of the existing believers is the message that they are going to pass on to people who don't yet believe so that they can come to believe. In other words, at the heart of this prayer that Jesus is praying here, Jesus is praying for mission. He's praying that people will reach out, his disciples will reach out to those who do not yet know him so that they might come to know him. I wonder who brought you to faith. Have a think for a minute. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, who brought you to faith? Let's um, wake you up a little bit, have a little show of hands. Um, How many people, how many of you, think you were brought to faith by a member of your family? By hearing the gospel from a member of the family? Uh, Yes, okay, probably a third to a half of people. Uh, How many of us were brought to faith by a friend who's not a member of the family? Slightly smaller number. You noticed I put up both hands. Thank you. Uh, How many of us were brought to faith by a complete stranger? A few. Okay. If nothing else, that shows us how important family relationships can be in bringing people to faith. More people have come to faith here through a family relationship or a close friend than through complete strangers. Uh, I was brought to faith uh, primarily, my mum and dad were both Christians and they both had input into it, but I kind of think that mum was more important in bringing me to faith than maybe dad was. Just maybe she spoke to me about it more often, and um, and I was also helped to bring, come to faith with a friend called Pete, who I worked with. Here's a question, though: Who brought them to faith? Who brought them to faith? They brought you to faith. Mum and Pete brought me to faith. But who brought them to faith? I don't know who brought Pete to faith. Um, he was in the church long before I was. Um, I suspect that mum came to faith through little granny. Little granny is called little granny to distinguish her from big granny. Um, Big granny was my father's mum and little granny was my mother's mum. So somebody brought them to faith. But if you stop and think about it, there is an unbroken chain all the way back from you coming to faith and I coming to faith an unbroken chain all the way back through approximately 60 generations to those people who were sitting round the last supper table with Jesus on that occasion. 
because those people around the table went out and told people about the gospel and those people went out and told more people and they went out and told more people and they went out and told more people and eventually somebody told little granny and little granny told mum and mum told me and I, now I'm telling you. All the way back. If the chain had got broken, another chain might have formed but maybe you wouldn't be a person of faith this morning. Jesus' prayer here encompasses those who were believers before us so that they would become those who pass the message on and teach us the trust in him so that we could become followers of Jesus ourselves. We came to trust Jesus through their message. What about going forward from here? How many of you recognize the term praying for three? A good number. Not all of you. I meant to pick up a card. Some of the cards, I think, are out on the desk out there. But we've had a scheme running for some time here at church encouraging us all to pray for three, to identify three, maybe two, maybe five, doesn't matter, the number's not critical, but say three friends of ours who are not yet Christians, and perhaps in the first instance not yet commit to talking to them about Jesus, but certainly to commit to praying for them about the fact that they don't know Jesus. I'll see if there's some cards out there. Perhaps the stewards can uh, dig them out for me if they're still there. And you can take one if you want to. Think of three friends who you know who don't know Jesus and begin to pray for them. Jesus prayed for those who are not yet believers and we can pray for those who are not yet believers as well. Today, as I mentioned at the beginning, is Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into town riding on a donkey and everybody cries, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're expecting a king to come. And we perhaps know that Jesus wasn't quite the kind of king that they were expecting. But nevertheless, he is our king, isn't he? We live in a kind of a democracy where we have a queen, but she doesn't have supreme authority over us. We don't bow and scrape to everything she says. But we have a king in King Jesus, And part of my question to you this morning is, are you somebody who obeys your king? When your king prays for those who don't yet believe, and your king prays for those who do believe that they might go out and share the message with those who don't believe, are we people who are willing to obey what he says? Jesus says to them a few days later after this prayer time around the last supper table, he says to the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And as each one of us believes, that command is passed on to us to go and make disciples. New opportunities come up so that those that we know as not yet believers can hear through our message. 
If you've got your bulletin, you may ignore the section where there's a little space for you to write sermon notes. But in amongst that, I've put a question in. I asked for a question to be put in. And the question is, if someone asked you why you are a Christian, what would you say? Because it will happen. You'll get to work or wherever on Monday morning and they'll say, did you have a good weekend? Yes, thank you. What did you do? Well, we went to the cinema on Saturday and we saw some friends in the evening and on Sunday we went to church and then in the afternoon the grandchildren came around and they say, hold on a minute, you say you went to church? Why do you go to church? And suddenly you need an answer to the question. Have you got an answer to the question when somebody challenges you? I suggested at the beginning that we could learn to pray by listening to or studying other people's prayers and learning to make them our own. We have seen Jesus praying for those who do not yet know him and how that prayer is answered. Here is an opportunity for us to adopt Jesus' own prayer topic. But perhaps something else as well, two other points to finish with. We usually pray to Jesus and ask him to answer our prayers. On this occasion, it's Jesus who prays. He prays for those who don't know him. Could it be... Could it be that we can be the answer to Jesus' prayer. And lastly, we've seen Jesus prays for not yet believers, and perhaps this morning, that's you. You're not yet a believer in Jesus. Jesus prays that you will become one. Jesus prays that somebody will tell you the message, because he wants you to know him. That's his desire. That's his invitation. And if that's who you are this morning, I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards, as would Eddie, Steve, any number of other people, somebody you know who is a believer. Talk to them and find out how you can know Jesus too. Let's take a moment to pray. King Jesus, you have shown us the desire that is on your heart that others may know you and become one with you and with Father God, become members of your family and in due time become carriers of the message that we have heard onto other people. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. We thank you for your invitation. And we pray that you will help us to be obedient to you out of our love for you and our trust in you, that the world may believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.